0: Hello, this is Linda Drake, and you are dialed into the Arizona Technology Council tech focus, Member Spotlight Podcast. We welcome you to the podcast where we highlight the thought leaders and entrepreneurs who are growing Arizona's Promise as a world-class technology business hub. Each of our episodes features an innovative entrepreneur, transformative leaders, and technology titans. These are people who are reshaping the state's evolving tech ecosystem as we speak. All of us at the Arizona Technology Council and at Michael Beach Coaching and Consulting are excited to be able to bring you this podcast every month. We love bringing you closer to the current information about what's happening in the technology sector right here in the great state of Arizona. I am Linda Drake. I'm a certified executive coaching consultant with Michael Beach Coaching and Consulting. I hope everyone listening today is as excited as I am about our special guest. Today on the Arizona Tech Focus podcast, we are interviewing the
1: delightful Dr. David B. Bowman, who's a provost at UAT. His whole career has been focused on addressing the profound need within Arizona and the nation for a substantial and diverse creative class workforce. As its long-standing provost, Dr. Bowman has built the University of Advancing Technology, UAT, into a unique all-STEM institution that marries the best of traditional small private college learning with the genetics of innovation that comes with agile technology organizations. As an educator, he is focused on cultivating a base of technology students and future inventors. Dr. Bowman has grown UAT from a single classroom of 13 students into a STEM private college, teaching about 1,100 people, a campus that is unique not only to Arizona, but also to the entire country. He serves on the board of directors for the Arizona Technology Council, He's an alumni of the FBI Citizens Academy and serves on the AZ PBS Community Board. David, welcome. Uh-oh, thank you. It is truly an honor to have this opportunity to talk with you today. Your accomplishments are just immense.
2: Well, thank you very much.
1: What you're doing and developing with relatively young minds mm-hmm and then putting a force out into the world in the technology era is really profound. So congratulations on all you do, David. Well, thank you. So what are some of the most important technology trends you see affecting people and organizations in this year and next? Okay. Uh,
2: Right now... Probably the one that people are most aware of that's got the most impact has got to be all the various forms of artificial intelligence. Uh, that would be my, the top of my list. And it's because people have been doing machine learning and computer learning and AI for a while now. But in the last couple of years, something kind of special happened where the tools that, that allow computers to make suggestions about what's a good choice to make, uh, have Evolve to a place where people who don't understand AI can bolt it onto their decision making in areas that aren't AI. For example, in the last couple of three days, there's been any number of stories about chat GPT and how people have been hacking the underlying code to make it work in different spaces. And suddenly what started off as a technology that was mostly about it can write your papers for you. Now you're hearing, well, it can write code. It can pass the bar exam. It can, you know, it can make dinner for you and all, all kinds of things like that. That's really profound. And, and I think what we're grappling with right now is there's a lot of benefits that come from adding computers, taking a look at data and kind of pointing us in a good direction in lots of areas. You know, that's people are going, wow, that, I, that'll help in point of care. That'll help in customer service. That'll help in. Looking, you know, if you're in the uh, the city sector, you know, help guide patterns for law enforcement and fire and public services. There's a lot of things like that that you can kind of bring online quickly. The reason why it's impactful and, and important people have awareness of is that most people don't understand the underlying technology. They just see it do things. And it's going to take a while for people and businesses and organizations to kind of know. What's a good way to use this technology? What's a not a good way? What is it? What is it good at? And what are its limitations? And, and so we're, we're kind of coming into a messy period where there's a lot of neat things with AI, but there's also going to be a lot of things that, that are just confusing and concerning and, 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 you know, steps backward. That happens with technology yeah. all the time.
1: You know? and, and some, and some of the negative headlines don't help. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so what, Are businesses really looking for in new college graduates?
2: You know, (sighs) something that we try to do at UAT is create graduates who know more than just how to use the software. Like we want, you know, we don't want them to just know how to load artificial intelligence into an IOT platform that does a wearable tech. That's all very well and fine, but what employers are looking for is somebody who knows enough about the technology and knows enough about the organizations or the people who are going to use the technology to create tools that make sense and are likable and are helpful. And, and that, you know, there's a lot of pieces underneath that. And you've got to have uh, college graduates who are used to doing a lot more than just passing classes. They need to be comfortable in here. Here's a project can you build this and, and that's a hard thing to ask somebody because it, you know anybody who's tried to write a book you know, or a short story look at the blank piece of paper knows that it's, it's really hard to get started. Tech grads really need to be able to have that blank slate of tech and be able to create things you know and, 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 and weave them out and they need to be able to talk about it in a way that the people who aren't technologists can understand now, going back to the to AI, Imagine how much better organizations would be with AI if the people who are creating tech, AI technologies were able to have just normal conversations explaining what it can do and what it can't do and what you need to look out for. We need to cultivate in our college graduates.
1: I can truly appreciate that. I've had my own business, mm-hmm. but I was never, I had tech people. Mm-hmm. So I never had to get into the weeds. And so having tech people that can interpret and help guide um, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. So tell me what makes UAT special as a university. Okay. You
2: know, um, we're kind of, we're very unique on the Arizona landscape and we're pretty unique on the national landscape in that we're a small private college, which means small class sizes and, and, you know, a very tailored experience that really just does engineering technology STEM areas. That's that's all we do. And the people we bring in, when we recruit them, we're not asking them their SAT scores or ATCT scores, or well, we do. But what we really care about is their propensity to want to create with tech and how comfortable and enthusiastic they are. Because what happens is when we bring them into the campus, the culture is such that yes, of course you're gonna take classes and you got to pass those classes. Uh, but We're going to move them towards a regular cadence of each and every month. You know, we want our students to create a complete version of a robot or a cyber defense system or an AI or a med tech. We want them to build one every month and be able to stand up in front of their peers and have an intelligent conversation about here. I had this experience. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Here's what I do differently next time. So that by the time they graduate, you know, they've done this 40, 50, 60 times. So that when they go into the workforce, they're used to that process. And that's a big piece. And a lot of times when I talk to people about UAT, I kind of describe us as being more like a conservatory. You know, you think about music conservatories where you you just practice and you play and and people give you feedback on your playing and it's everybody has an expectation of doing all of these things. We're really like that, but in engineering areas.
1: And you're actually Setting up these students to be able to provide that balance mm-hmm. to management, non-tech people, and take advantage of the newest technology. So, right. you know, it's a wonderful practice and learning experience.
2: Yeah, and, and one of the things we, we care about quite a bit is and, and this kind of comes from my background. I was a, a computer science guy back in the eighties and nineties. And and back then you know you had the kind of a classic geek tribe uh, and and it was great but the problem was i wasn't like most everybody else and and so what i thought was important wasn't necessarily important to everybody else especially people with very very different perspectives and backgrounds in life and and, and so one of the things that is a big piece of our our process is getting as much diversity of perspective into the build process so that what comes out the other side is more reflective of the general population. And, Mm -hmm. and, and and you do that, you figure you're going to have have tech that people are going to like better. You know, it's just going to work better.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, seeing eye to eye better because they've been through so many experiences together and Mm -hmm. are learning from each other. Mm -hmm. So, uh UAT has been training students in cybersecurity for quite a few decades. Yeah. yeah, what trend are you seeing in cybersecurity? And in truth, Dave, are the hackers winning? Yeah, yeah.
2: You know that's a that's a hard question because uh, I can remember twenty five years ago when we started talking cybersecurity. I would go to conferences and and, and smart people from the government would say, look. You know, our infrastructure is at risk and we have this many more jobs and there's this many more hackers and we just, there's, there's this much we've got to do. And so we spent the last two decades building up knowledge and understanding in the community and building up a base of a workforce. And two decades later, what we've got is there's still, like in Arizona, there's still seven or eight thousand unfilled cyber jobs and, and the hackers are getting smarter and more professional. I was on a panel last week talking about cybersecurity and information. And what's happened is while you know the you know the, the the good guys have gotten better and better and more professional, the bad guys are looking more and more like crime syndicates, uh where it's professional, they have an infrastructure, and they have a lot of workers, and it's a whole it's a whole thing. And so it's challenging right now because it seems like every level you know, of skills that we elevate to try to protect information and protect our systems, you know, people who are trying to, you know, like take advantage of it are they're growing up. And but what I'm seeing is on the on the uh, on kind of the dark side of that is it's most of it's about money. Ransomware is very very real, and and it's become it, 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 despite communication and and efforts over the last ten years to address it. It's only becoming more so because there's so much money being made. And at the same time, it, something that was one of the biggest fears we had with cybersecurity decades ago was that as more of our infrastructure was placed on a grid, that, you know, that hackers have access to it. And we're seeing signs that there's more aggressive attacks that way. Um, there was, in the last, uh, about a year and a half ago, there was a te- an attempt that failed. Uh, in a Florida water treatment plant to introduce dangerous levels of lie into the water by, by chain, you know, like a little bit of lie is is killing all the bugs, but a lot of lie is going to hurt people. Hackers specifically went after that system to try to increase the lie and and the good guys stopped them. Um, but you know, I won't say that they're winning. What I will say is that there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. And, and this again is an area where AI is playing a part because both sides, the hackers and, 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 and the defenders are using AI to constantly probe and, it, and look for weaknesses and do things. So it's not a hacker who's just kind of like tacking your system. They're re- you know they're releasing artificial intelligence tools to hack, you know, to get a whole bunch of systems all at once, continuously to look for a vulnerability, uh, which is it, you know, which is clearly challenging. Um
1: yeah, it is it's unbelievable. We're doing so much on yeah. the net. You know, can the average business person trust what's going on online? And where are we headed?
2: Well, that's a great question. That's probably when you asked at the beginning of this and you asked me the couple of things that people need to know and I said AI was one. Number two is this that uh that digital trust and digital privacy is probably one of the biggest topics going on right now. And it's this idea that as an organization, you have to build systems that ensure that the information of the people you do business with your clients, your vendors is secure and that people have trust that, you know, reasonable diligence is going on to secure the transactions and that's a big topic, and it's kind of funny. Like, like a an example would be: once upon a time, if you owned a restaurant, you just owned a restaurant. You know, now, if you own a restaurant, you've got to have some kind of cyber resource on staff, so someone doesn't hack in and gather the personal data of, of your your chefs and your servers and things like that. And there's kind of a reality now that almost every organization needs to have some kind of resource. That is looking after their IT. And if you're a large company, you've got this. If you're a medium to small company, odds are you need to contract with somebody to who looks after it and does assessments and reviews your systems and your processes and your data and and make sure everything's current and updated. The other thing that companies, no question about
1: it. No question about it, David.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that companies need to, you know, kind of recognize now is that the, you know, because we have laws like the GDPR, which is Europe's data privacy law, and now you have more and more U.S. states having laws on data privacy. I mean, you know, California's got the Cal Privacy Rights Act. Virginia has an act. Colorado has an act. More and more states are having acts that layer on top of things we're kind of used to, like HIPAA and FERPA and, and the Fair Credit Act and COPPA. There's just all of these rules are in place. And that does, they're all designed to protect people, but it all represents a bit of risk to organizations. And you really do need to have one, somebody looking after your security and and doing an assessment. And two, there's a reality that you need to get, uh, basically hacker insurance, you know, and it's a thing that didn't exist, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, but now there's this reality as a cost of doing business is you got to take insurance out because no organization is going to be foolproof against all of the, you know, the, the onslaught of things and you've got to mitigate your risk. Uh, and the interesting thing is that most of the companies that provide the insurance are going to require that you have security assessments and security resources and all these kinds of things. And so the good news is, is that, you know, it's because it becomes a part of day-to-day business. People are getting more savvy about how to do it. And so that's a little less scary. Um, but you know, it is does come at a cost. And organizations now, as you're doing your budget, you just have to line item out cost for IT and cyber insurance and things like that.
1: Yes. Yeah, it actually has become line items.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Budget, right? Who would have thought? Uh, we, yeah, who would have thought? You know, we talked a little bit earlier about chat GPT because... Let's say that the average business person doesn't fully understand it. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a little bit more of a background in that technology that is evolving?
2: Yeah. Uh, and evolving is a good word for it. It's not done cooking yet. Uh, and in fact, it's very evolution is based on getting lots of people practicing and trying it. But kind of maybe as simply put, what ChatGPT does is, It knows how to look at all the information on the internet, text and pictures and looks at all of it, but especially text. And it uses statistics that if you give it a question that, you know, and say, look, if I use this word in this way, what's the next most likely word based upon looking at every word that's out there. And it gets a little more refined. Like for example, if, if, You know, like if you, Linda, have a lot of things posted on the internet, like blogs and things like that, it'll know, it'll, it'll, it'll connect you to that and it'll say, well, for you, you know, if you use the word red, there's a good chance that your next word is apple. You know, and it's like all AIs, they aren't thinking. Uh, they, 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 they don't think. What they do is they take, they're great at taking in lots of data and they apply statistics to it to provide the most likely next thing. And as long as you remember that, you know, that it's good to know. Like so for example, people talked about chat GPT and they're saying, well, it's past the bar. Like, of course it's passed past the bar. It looked at everybody's who's done study guides for the bar, you know, and it has all that information so it knows what the questions are, it knows what the answers are. And so it can analyze what's the most likely answer to the question. And a way that the human brain isn't very good at. Um, now, could chat GPT litigate? No,
1: <laughs>
2: it, it doesn't, Wouldn't even. It, it, it can't do that kind of a thing. Um, you know, then it just, it, I think that's kind of the limitations. Like, well, people in my area are worried about, well, are we going to start seeing students, you know, turn in their papers, you know, that are, you know, with chat GPT. And the answer is, of course, they already are. Uh, but what you've got to do now as a teacher is be smarter than that. You can't just have somebody write a history paper, that's about the facts of, you know, like what happened in the 2020 election. Yeah. You, know, you have to actually ask them to write about what it means. And when you ask that, that extra step of what does it mean? Chat GPT doesn't, can't do that. Uh, and actually no AIs really can do that. They just, they're, it's just not constructed that way. That sort of, yeah, that intuitive leap that, that the human brain is wonderful at. Uh, is the one thing it can't do. What it does better than us is it can absorb a lot of information and accurately say there's a pattern here, which is why for doctors. You're going to see, you, know, you see it used an awful lot with medicine, you know, not to specifically diagnose something, but if it sees a set of symptoms and blood work or, or whatever, it can look at all the history of everybody's blood work, everybody wearing a wearable and all that kind of data and come back with, you know, I think based upon this, here's three or four of the most likely things that this could be that matches the past. What you do with that takes a doctor, takes a human to kind of draw it together and know the, the, the patient as a person and, 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 and cross check it against other factors.
1: Your chemical gaze is so applicable to all teachers, to all professors. To anybody that's mm-hmm. using some kind of an assessment, you know, at the end of a quarter, the end of a term, the end of a month, whatever it is. I mean, and you have truly defined the differences, mm-hmm. you know, coming up with a meeting makes a huge, creates a huge gap yeah. for AI. So, yeah, got it. And
2: then got it becomes it. a tool. Like, I honestly, I think that within a couple, of three years, the expectation of classes is going to be that students use AI the way we expect students, you know, one point in time to use calculators. And then later on, we expected that they were going to use the internet. AIs are going to be the same way. We just have to move what we're talking about to different places. And what's neat about it is that. With each one of these pushes, it's less about testing against mundane skills and just facts, but to, okay, can you think, you know, like, what do you do with this? And that goes back to what we were talking about before about what the future generation of what engineers and technologists should look like is, yes, of course, they need to be tech savvy, but they also need to really understand humans and the world and what we care about, you know, what our aesthetics are, what our history is, because that's how you take this you know whatever these texts are, and put it in some kind of a context that makes sense and helps us
1: going forward. Absolutely, and uh, the process of deep thinking is really what you're trying to bring to the fore with mm-hmm. all of your training with people, so that they are fully prepared to both converse mm-hmm. to their public uh, as well as invent. So, you know, I, I really see the brilliance of the program that you've put together. So just speaking of, let's say the average consumer, mm-hmm. you know, we, we now have companies like Mad Greens and Nectar mm-hmm. saying they want to deliver food by drones in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, will we soon be seeing drones regularly buzzing over our heads to bring food and supplies?
2: Well I think in the summer months that's gonna be challenging. I'm not sure I want my cheese and wine sent by drone in July. Uh but uh I do think it's likely. Uh you know, if you've walked around uh, ASU or NAU or uh, the college campuses, you see the Starlink drones who are delivering meals from the dorms or from the, the, the food service over to the over to where students are, and it works fine. I think that the flying drone piece is going to become more and more, you know, like every day for us. And, and so I, and I can see it and there's issues of, um, you know, weight and, 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 and how do you land it and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's going to happen. And, uh, I think it'll take different ways. Okay. Some, some might be flying things. Some might be refrigerated little containers. uh but that is a tech that by and large works pretty well. and, and, it solves a need i mean there's you know if you talk to folks who do like ups and amazon things like that they talk about the challenge of the last mile which is they've got something and they need to get it out to the last mile or so to people and and you really could see a future where you know delivery groups get to a distribution point near you and then things just head out um and it helps it interestingly like drones are cheap uh, our students when they You know, as they're building, you know, they're flying drones and they're underwater drones. They're regularly amazed that like all the sensors that do things like check for temperature and chemicals and air and whatever, you know, that they're like 10 bucks each. They're really inexpensive sensors now and the whole computer systems are tiny. And so it's not a big deal to make this tech, which is wonderful because if it's cheap and accessible, more people get a chance to play with it and we'll figure out what we find value in.
1: Uh, exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, this, this has been a very, very interesting conversation so far, Dave. I really admire your work. I, I have a kind of personal question. For sure. Me. How does it feel to know that you've gone from 13 students to hundreds graduating every year and to be introducing them to the highest level of technology and Te- technological
2: experience? Uh, privilege, mostly, uh, and, and a little humbling. Uh, I was fortunate, uh, and I tell students a lot of time that, that, that when it comes to innovation, you know, there's certainly hard work and practice and research and there's an you know, energy you've got to put into it, but sometimes you've just got to be lucky with your timing. And I was fortunate enough to get involved with the, the beginning of the school at that very moment with, when tech was beginning to blossom. And, you know, and if I hadn't been part of that time, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to begin to have these conversations of since it's a new time, it's a new school, and a new era. If you were going to start from ground zero, what would you create? And I can remember back in the 80s and 90s, I would just I would constantly ask people from all walks of whatever, like, okay, if you if you had to start a school to do this, what do you wish you have? What would people find useful? And we were able to get that in into the DNA of the school really early on. And, and so rather than building something that modeled something much, much older, we were able to kind of build it to face what now looks like. Uh, yeah. And it's great. I mean, it's like something that is like, I had a um, an email from a student yesterday or team's message, I should say that one of our students is an undergraduate student, really interested in NFTs and also interested in graphic design. She sent me a photo of a whole suite of imagery that she had that was displayed in times square in new york on the giant things and she's you know she's she's an undergrad and and she just it was like she she knew enough of all the technologies the blockchain technologies plus the art and the graphic design and could talk about it she was able to bring it and she she got to have this experience that i mean who gets to experience that when they're in their early 20s that's amazing it's
1: a wonderful wonderful experience and Dave, uh, I'm extremely impressed by what you've been able to accomplish. But I also know that you're a member of the board of yeah. the AZ Tech Council. So, how could more companies benefit from the Arizona Technology Council, and both as a business and it's from an individual standpoint?
2: It's super easy to gain access to it. Become a member. <laughs> Uh, it's It's a very reasonable proposition. You're going to certainly get more value out of it than you're going to put into it. The amazing thing with the Tech Council is that it is the best place in the state of Arizona to meet all factions, elements of the tech ecosystem. Everything from the smallest of startups to the major technology players, we're all in there and we're all having conversations about what the trends are, what our needs are, how can we support each other, we get very involved in the legislative side of it in terms of, you know, like how do we make sure Arizona as a place is a place tech companies want to live in. Unfortunately, we have a legislature and a lot of city councils that are, that really get the entrepreneurial spirit of that. And the tech council has all of these working committees and events that are specifically designed so that if you are a company and you want to learn something about medtech or cyber, go to the event, and in one day you're going to walk away with, you know, a really good working knowledge of what you need to do the next step. Uh, the medtech one was last month. Cyber's coming up in June. Every couple of months we have them. A really cool group happening in with an event in June that is entirely focused on diversity and mentorship in technology. And and I'm really excited about that group because again it goes back to the the better we get at more perspectives creating tech, just humans are gonna be better for it. And so yeah, the tech just join the tech council, go to the events, and 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 you'll benefit almost immediately. Right.
1: Well I will tell you, David, thank you very much for the quality of, of your time today. Thank you on behalf of of everyone in the Arizona Technology Council for the wonderful work that you're doing, the creative innovation that you've conducted in order to empower hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students every year to launch into the tech field. It's an amazing accomplishment. You certainly have created a multitude of positive effects in technology for Arizona and for all of our country. So thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, It is a pleasure to talk to you, sir.
2: Absolutely. Anytime.
0: Thank you. I want to thank our special guests for taking the time for this interview today. We are excited that our next show will feature another fantastic Arizona Technology Council executive, whose business is going on right here within the great state of Arizona. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. And please, if you have any great suggestions for a future episode guest, or perhaps if you want to become a featured guest yourself, please contact the Arizona Technology Council's website and look for the Arizona Technology Council Tech Focus Member Spotlight podcast. We look forward to spending time on our next episode with you together. And until then, remember, invest in innovation, invest in your team, and continue to invest in the technology sector right here in the great state of Arizona. See all of you next time.